Here's Chavinko. Lovely ball through towards Altidore. Altidore! Toronto FC's big acquisitions combine to tie the game. Josie Altidore. The Two Solid Dude Soccer Podcast with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. The award-winning soccer podcast that covers every single aspect of Canadian soccer. And now, without further ado, here's Dwayne Rollins. And welcome to the Two Saltitudes Podcast. I'm Dwayne Rollins. Kevin Laramie joins me from across the table. Uh, Kevin, we're at Whistler's Grill here in beautiful East York, Canada. East York's a borough of Toronto, in case anyone doesn't know that. Uh, this is my local bar, and we're having it here because my apartment is too messy to have Kevin over at. Kevin, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's been, what, two days of Canadian glory? Yeah, I'm exaggerating a little, but uh, two important days in Canadian soccer, especially for the national team program, but uh, defining moments still to come, like you can read on Canadian Soccer News. It's, uh, yes, two great results, but I expect the real test to come for next week for the women and uh, in the next few months for the men. Yes, certainly the women have a very big test coming up in the round of 16. They are through as group winners. It wasn't the most glory-ridden moment in Montreal, the the Lowry Lake goal, which uh, survived Holland. Holland basically advanced with that goal. It's a big moment for them, but... uh, Disappointing. I was a little emotional at the time, told the the uh, program off in a lot of ways because it's been frustrating for me to be yelling into the wind about the perils of the of thinking that this team could go to the final, which is an absurd idea. And I think most Canadians are beginning to it's beginning to dawn upon them that I might have had a point on that one. But we'll look at it anyway. Uh, Switzerland will be the opponent. That is, I think, guaranteed now. It's a little confusing with the best third place finishers thing, but. Uh, but it looks like it'll be Switzerland. So we'll talk a bit about the the game that was in Montreal. We'll talk a bit about the the Swiss, and uh, we'll talk a bit about the, the legacy of this tournament. If if they go out in the round of sixteen, what does it even mean? I'm going to talk. Sorry, go ahead, Kevin. And where Sophie Schmitz is going to be in there too, because she came out of the plane on crutches this morning in Vancouver. Is she going to be fit for the game? Will she be ready? And will she be fit enough to have an uh, an effect on the game because that's what the team has been missing somebody to have an offensive flair and Sinclair is not doing this right now so uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how ready will she be and if she even is going to play exactly uh, can you play the game on crutches what are, what, is the, what are the laws can you play with crutches like, can you stab yeah, you can probably t- can't touch the ball because it would be like a handball yeah well, stab stab I don't know <laughs> All right, uh, we'll, talk, we'll talk with the men, too. Obviously, uh, Kevin and I were at the men's game last night. Uh, we'll, we'll break that down a little bit. Dominica's not exactly the biggest opponent that you're going to face, but it was nice to watch a Canadian team so thoroughly dominate another team, uh, have so much offensive flair, and I think the biggest thing to take from that was Teshu and Laren. That looks like something two young guys, youngish guys, that are going to be around for a while. Uh, Kyle Laren is already, the countdown to pass D-Row is already on uh, with <laughs> Kyle Laren. I think uh, he's going to be a player. Uh, we'll also briefly, we'll have a brief Canadian review at the end. I'm going to focus a little bit on the NASL. It's first, it's spring season. You know our opinion on the spring-fall season breakdown thing, but it's spring season wrapped up. Uh, Ottawa, with a bit of a weird finish to the year, they have a 526-minute shutout streak. They've only scored one goal in that amount of time. We'll <laughs> but they did a lot, Eddie. Yeah, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about Julian Guzman's future there. And uh, we'll touch on what the hell happened to Edmonton. But uh, before we do all that, let's take a quick break. Hey, 
And welcome back. As a reminder, we are live on location at Whistler's Grill, Broadview and Danforth. It's a lovely little place, actually. Kevin, you, you enjoyed the food here today, right? Absolutely, actually. I did a lot. Very good. The big W burger, if you're here, get it. All right. It, uh, for those that don't know, it's, a, it's an East York staple. Been here for years. It is the bar across the street from the Dairy Queen. If you're Trontonian, you know exactly what I'm talking about there. Anyway, um, let's talk about the women, the Canadian women's national soccer team, just in case you thought we had a really different kind of podcast going on today. But let's talk about the women <laughs> and the fact that they can't score. Um, Two goals, three games, one penalty by St. Clair. So one goal in the run of playing three games. Well, and if you go further back, there's been 10 games now where the last 10 games Canada has scored either one goal or less in the last of the 10 games. And that's something that I have been pointing to for a while now as a significant area of concern heading into this tournament. Uh, heading into the round of 16 now, they don't technically have to score. They just have to survive. And that is the other side of this. They've only allowed one goal so far in this World Cup. If they can continue to play tight at the back, that is your half full. But then you're going to have to rely on nicking a goal or going to penalties, and you're getting into coin flips at that point, Kevin. No, absolutely. And when you're looking at percentages, because that's what you want on shots, just the, the, the amount of chances and the amount of chance created by Canada is abysmal. You can count them on one hand for the whole five games. When you don't even get looks on goal for a play like St. Clair, you're not even getting the right position. Is it her age? Is it the system? Is it a mix of all that together? Maybe. Should they go back to route one and try to get at least a couple of shots on goal? Because that, maybe that's what they're missing. I don't know, but they need to do something. And with the fact that Sophie Schmidt might not be 100% for that game, well, we know she's not going to be. She might play. But if she's at 80%, what's going to be her... her her contribution to the team I don't know and uh, heading we were talking about we wanted Fleming to be more involved before the third game she started that game it was invisible so uh, I, you can't put pressure on her she's too young but it's uh, beginning to be a big questioning where do you going to find the offense in that team well yeah or is there offense to find <laughs> is there any to find yeah yeah th- that's the other question it's again not to belabor the point not to keep putting my hand up and go look at me this is what I've been saying but this is what I've been saying Christine Sinclair is 32 that is near the end of a career for a female athlete uh, she has been slowed down for the, since London she had a wonderful game in London that most of the people watching this tournament think of and think that that is the everyday normal experience it was an outlier of the last five years for her internationally she doesn't do that anymore she certainly hasn't done it in this tournament you can't put a 17-year-old kid in who's going to be a good player, but she's not a goal scorer player. She's a, a player that sets up and, and kind of plays that role and she doesn't have the ability, the maturity, as much as we look at her as a mature player, to, to be able to dictate the pace of a game yet. You know, and I'm sure the Swiss have watched this and they're just going to do the same thing every other team's going to do. They're going to sit back a little bit. They're going to isolate on Sinclair to take away her goal scoring threats. And they're going to dare Canada to create. And so far, no one has been able to create. And I just don't see anyone on that bench that, that's going to change that. Who? Who? Do you think maybe Herdman, by changing the tactical approach of the team, by going more of the possession, not necessarily tiki-taka type, but closer to that, do you think they've made it easier for the opposition to, like you say, just bunker down St. Clair? Where else are the chances going to be? And they have the onus of play on them, so it goes counter to their instinct of Route 1. So that's what I'm really weird about is how that system, it almost makes it easier for the opponent to counter Canada's best players. Yeah, you know, I, I understand what you're saying, and there is this instinct to just go, well, let's just go back to what worked. Let's just sit back ourselves and try and lump it forward towards Sinclair and hope that she can run onto a ball. 
Uh, maybe then that opens things up for an Adrian Leon for or a Jesse Fleming for whoever to, to come into the play and, and score a goal from behind as well. But then again, you look at the way the Americans have played this tournament. And they are through as group leaders, just as Canada won the group. And I guess we should say that. They did win, they the, did group. win the group. It was a group they should have won, but they did. Um, you know, with one win and two draws. But anyway, uh, you look at the way the Americans have played, and they're not exactly dominating things either. And, you know, the Abby Wambach style, get it towards Abby's head, you know, the turf aside. Maybe we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> no, but it does impede you what to do a header turf rate. Come on. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because balls in the air are really affected by the plane surface you're standing on. But at any rate. Exactly. Um, oh, Abby. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's about all we really need to say about that silliness. But at any rate, um, yeah, the... The style, that lump and head style, seems to be dead because the Americans aren't dominating with it either. But that's my fear, actually, is that uh, is that Canada will just go go back to it. That they will start to panic. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, that we're in the 75th minute and it's nil nil. Not a crazy scenario. They could just start booting it forward and hoping, and then they could get nicked. They, you know, Rowena uh, Rowena uh, Bachman or. Yeah, Bachman, she is the best player on, on Switzerland. She can score on the counter. She's got a lot of creativity on the ball. Can do the one-on-one uh, kind of plays there. She could, she could, I could see that girl in the 88th minute, nicking a goal on the break. And then, boom, it's all done. Yeah, let's talk about the Swiss. They, they come in with a, for not necessarily the first time, but in the Women's World Cup this year, when you're looking at European team, they bring a certain type of what you see in the men's game. It's an European uh, ball Controlled the way they able to not do necessarily what they want with the ball, but closer to uh, what it's been in the past. That's going to be very different for Canada to be in that type of game. It's going to be interesting to me to see if they can actually play that game, the ball possession game against them, or if they're gonna. Uh, I don't know. It, it's a game filled with questions to me, and Switzerland can be very dangerous for Canada. Yeah, I would look at the game against Japan. Switzerland played the one nil loss to Japan. They did create chances. They were probably a little unlucky to not get a draw in that game. There was a couple point-blank uh, chances that they missed. It was their first game of the tournament. They were adjusting to everything, including the turf, if you want to go down that line. Um, the next game, they, they hung 11. Now, not on a very good team, but they scored a lot of goals in that game, so maybe their confidence came there. Uh, then they didn't do so well in their third game. So they're kind of a hard team to peg. And... But if I look back at that Japanese game, I, I would say that if you're a Canadian fan, you might be a little nervous looking at it because I, I do think there is, I do think Canada, as every game in the group stage so far, I think Canada is the favorite. But we all watched the group stage, right? We all saw what happened. One game, one win, two draws. The win came in stoppage time on a penalty. They blew a game nearly in stoppage time. Not exactly a dominant performance. I would not expect anything other than nail-biting time at the end of the next game. And the 0-0 draw, Dwayne. Let's not forget there was a missed penalty by New Zealand. It should have been a one. It could have been a one nothing loss. Yeah. It, it, well, yeah. It, and look, and I, when I wrote the previews for this, every game I said there is no reason whatsoever to expect that this is going to be anything other than a tight game throughout this tournament for Canada. They are going to need everything to break for them perfectly in order to have anything that is sustainable or that is something you're going to point to to, to be some great victory. I mean, going in, they can, you know they talk brave about let's make the final, let's, let's compete for this championship. I think that, you know, look, it's still in front of them. I haven't budged off my 1% prediction. There is a 1% chance that they're going to have a perfect break for the next uh, four games. Four games yeah. 
but it's one percent, and it hasn't budged forward from that. And I think it's a little silly to suggest that it has. You're, and I don't think anyone's arguing that anymore. Not in the mainstream anymore. There's certainly is, there's questions. If you look at the mainstream, they're going, "Oh, what's happening? We don't get it." Well, those of us who pay attention outside of the major tournaments told you this was going to happen. If you're looking at the best player in a group stage for Canada so far, it has to be Kadisha Buchanan. 19-year-old phenom in defense, probably had the best chances offensively for Canada as well. What could she bring more to the team, Dwayne, so the team utilizes her talent better, maybe to get results out of games? Well, there's more of the same. I mean, you're, you're looking at a you know the one goal out. And as much as I focus on the lack of scoring, I, I, I have to keep reminding myself they haven't allowed. Now, they shouldn't against these teams either, but at the same time, the whole game has risen up, so you can't ignore the fact that he's tightened up that back line and you got to give Aaron McLeod credit as well yeah, for marshalling it yeah yeah so there is some tightness there and that's really what it comes down to is you're going to need Buchanan to step up and, and keep you know out of card trouble which has been her problems in the past I think to stay that perfect level of aggression uh, and a lot of Buchanan has made some spectacular defensive plays that that maybe she shouldn't have had to make yeah but she because did. of positioning yeah so we need her to tighten that game up. The only chance Canada's going to have is to grind out nils, is to keep not allowing. Now, they haven't been tested yet by a truly top team. That would come in the quarterfinals, you would assume, if they can get back Switzerland. But you cannot look past that Swiss game right now at all. At all. I, I would, I don't know, Kevin, like, we'll talk a bit about the legacy of what this tournament might be if they go out in the round of 16. But before we do that, let's quickly, like, well, what, like... I put a gun to your head right now. I'm not going to. Don't worry. You never know, right? Yeah, yeah well, we are in the, the mainstream streets of East York here. But, um, you know, what would you predict? What's your prediction? If I go with my head or more with the feeling I have, I have a feeling that uh, Switzerland is going to beat Canada. Literally. And now it's not going to be, be going to be close. I have a feeling that uh, it might be a reality check for the women's side of the program. More for the. I think it's unfortunate. You know why? Because there's never been as many eyes on them ever there's never been as many people watching the Canadian women's national team and it's unfortunate that it's not maybe at the most opportune time there, there's a very good chance that the result that the whole country want is not going to happen against Switzerland and it's a shame that it's going to leave maybe a bad taste in people's mouth because of that yeah there's a reason FIFA rank their seeds the host team is because they want them to advance and they want to give them every advantage to advance and they have seeded Canada in this tournament they gave them a, a group where every team was ranked below them, and Canada did just enough to get through. My prediction, I, th- I think they're going to get by them, but I think it's going to be a 1-0, and it may come in an extra time. I, I will, penalties. Yeah, it may even come in penalties. I, I will say this. I actually have a hunch that when Canada does go out of this tournament, they're going to go out maybe not in men's 2014 qualifying spectacular fashion but I think it might not be close I think that Canada is going to go out on a 3-0 or a 4-0 or something like that against one of the top teams and that's going to be a tough game to get through because I think that the goals are going to come early and the bubble is going to burst big but uh, we'll see Uh, last topic point on the women before we move on and take a break and talk with the men what is the legacy if they lose in the round of 16 Kevin I mean has the women's game grown? Has the game grown by virtue of hosting this tournament? I would say the game in general, no. Because the way it was hype, it was really woman-focused. And it's fine, but it, it it doesn't help the growth of the sports as a whole when you 
focus on just a certain part of it. What I mean is, yes, some girls will, some girls, some small children will get inspired by that tournament. With a small boy that's eight, at eight, or at the same same token as a small girl that's eight watching the men's world cup not necessarily going to relay same thing happens for the men so if, is it going to help grow the game i don't know grow the woman's side of it it might give it a new uh, a, a new maybe a boost so that 10 years from now we'll get a new generation but for now i think the damage was done like there was a we talked about the forgotten generation in the men mm-hmm. i think there's some in the women as well that is coming to an end of it we see a new generation of young player but there's a 10 year gap between the older two generations so it's interesting going forward to Buchanan the Flemings and all that if 10 years from now the girls that were inspired with this tournament can join them but hopefully there's not going to be a big gap like the St. Clair and the Buchanan's if you, and the, if you yeah. get what I'm saying look I I'm not in a city that, that is hosting games as, as we all know and we're not going to talk about that right now but what I'll say is that it's not this tournament's not something I'm, I'm hearing talked about on the streets. Um, you are in a city that's hosting games. I was in that city two days ago. I didn't see a lot of evidence. You outside. don't hear about it on the street either. I, I, like, when I was on the green line, I saw some people that clearly were going there. A lot of them were wearing, wearing American shirts, to be honest with you. And then, obviously, in Bar 99 before the game, it was packed and it was fun and it was festive. And it, it, it probably was a small sample of what a World Cup feels like around the host cities. But walked two blocks either way nothing part of that's that the women's game's not as popular I mean we can look at our numbers when we do the women's I did yeah I did look and it is not as popular I can tell you yeah and, and that's why we're not we backed off doing daily shows is because it wasn't worth our time folks and that tells you a little bit about what the interest level is and and what the potential is to reach reach the general soccer audience now we talk to people that are outside of maybe the target of this tournament which the target of this tournament is and I think I talked about this in the last show my mom my aunt maybe you know my uncle too it's people that don't pay attention but do like the maple leaf on the jersey and do you know cheer for the story and the story in this case is the fact that it's the women's world cup and the women are improving and the game is improving overall and maybe the legacy is about that um i do think there is one simple legacy. someone who's watched canadian national team games in canada for a long time and has seen the evolution from 10 years ago where you could play a game and it would be half full and three quarters of the people there would be wearing the jersey of their great-great-grandfather, not Canada. I think that the one legacy it's created maybe is that it has convinced Canadians because the Canadian games have sold well and have been 95% Canadian support that it's okay to cheer for Canada in Canada in this in soccer. I, that might be the one legacy that this tournament's created. Which is an improvement. I guess we it, it still considers an improvement. If we go with our experience, we both go to national team games, and we do see usually there was a lot of uh, away team too. And now uh, I guess with the Canada game, like you were saying, there's more of a national team presence. And we can even mix the men. Last night at the BMO, there was some Dominica fans, but I was surprised by the turnout of a game on a Tuesday night or close to ten thousand. Majority for Canada. It was not bad. Yeah, no, people look down their nose at the attendance for last night of the men's game. We'll talk about that next. But but the difference between what we saw last night and what we saw in the last cycle, especially you look at that Panama game, those Cuba games at the end of the uh, the semifinal stage last year, before the eight one happened, when everything was hopeful. <laughs> when hope was still present? The crowds were incredible, and they were based on a lot of work on the ground to get people out to those games. But I, I think that 
yeah, the the difference might be that now that we've watched a, a, the women play at home and watched them cheer on, that that maybe for both national programs, both genders, that you might see just more of an inclination. Of, okay, yeah, I'll go watch Canada play. That's that's a fun day out, even if you don't follow them in between. And there won't be this natural inclination to just dismiss the the possibility because it's only been since London that the women have been able to draw general crowds. Can they sustain it if they bail out in the round of 16? I don't know. People that went to the games probably had a lot of fun. I know that, the, like I said, the pre-game atmosphere in the right locations around the Canada game in Montreal was fun. And if you went to see that, you wouldn't want to experience it again. The pre-game yesterday, I didn't make it because I was on a streetcar that got in a car accident, believe it or not. Anyway, but I know people that were there. It was packed in that bar, and it was full of people that were candid and were excited and were having fun. The game and the atmosphere in both stands, in Montreal and in Toronto, was fun, and it was Granted, positive. it was the majority of the same people. But yeah, yeah, well, there was a lot of that, but yeah, it was positive. And, and I think that that's the one legacy that, that maybe this tournament gives. But in terms of overall growing and enhancing the sport, unless the 1% happens, I don't really see much of a game-changer here. No, I think at the level where it is now, you need something to spark people's imagination. And like I, like you say, either like a victory in the final or reach of the final or something of this big will we'll gather that type of uh, uh, of dedication because that's what, it's, that's what it is. When you're a fan of women's soccer or men's soccer, a national program, it's dedication. You need to look for the, usually to look for the information, to look for the date. You don't get, you don't get that on the first page of every newspaper. You need to to, to do some research to finally get on the info. So it, it's good to see that there's at least a consistent and maybe growing fan base for both programs. Yeah. All right, quickly before we take a break, talk about the men. In terms of our Five Rings coverage, uh, we're not going to go daily, uh, but we are going to obviously focus in on the Canada knockout game. That'll probably be on this show. We will, when we get deeper in the tournament a little bit, maybe the quarterfinals, we'll go back to breaking it down closer. We'll do a regular Five Rings this week. Uh, there is some news in Five Rings. Apparently, Marcelo Bu uh, said that Toronto is going to bid for the uh, Olympics, so we should probably talk touch on that one. But uh, that's on Five Rings. Um, the numbers just weren't there, folks. Like a tenth of what we would get for normal shows. Literally, that's what it is. Yeah, and so I can't justify that. But uh, we will continue to cover the tournament, obviously, here. Um, let's take a break. Talk with the men. told this guy where I was from. He said, oh, Canada. Kind of laughs it off. It was funny, huh? And welcome back to Two Salts Podcast. Uh, Whistler's Grill at uh, Broadview and Mortimer here in Toronto. It's a lovely little place. Uh, They are allowing us to talk at ourselves in the corner here. So uh, we do thank them for that. But I do recommend the bar as well. But if you hear any ambient sound, that's where it's coming from. All right. um, The men. Uh, look, they won six nil in aggregate. Uh, six nil in aggregate. I have to tell you, Wayne, it was the most dominating performance I've seen of Canada in a while. And yes, we're going to touch on it. Akindeli, Teshua Akindeli, and Laren. What a duo! Isn't it the dynamic duo now for Canada? Well, yeah, it could be. And you got to be careful to to always caveat that it's Dominica. Is it? You know, there's there's probably more people within three blocks of this bar than, than there are in Dominica. I'm not even exaggerating. There's a lot of apartment buildings over there. So, you know, it's 70,000 people. It's Dominica. It's, it's basically, for those who don't know, it's like you could swim from St. Lucia to Dominica. It's like a little tiny island off of St. Lucia. 
Uh, so yeah, we're better than that. They have a parrot on their flag. I did I did enjoy the fact that there's a parrot on their flag. How can you not like a parrot? A country with a parrot on their flag. Anyway, um, look. Yeah, you, with that caveat, what I saw last night gave me... I hope... I, I, I hesitate to be hopeful with this Canadian men's national team because I've been around too long, but... I do have a little bit of hope for this team for a couple different reasons. First off, I think that this is the first generation in a long time that has grown up either being developed in Canada through an academy or being positioned in Canada on their club team right now. There's a lot of them that are domestically based, and I feel, and this is a very feel and kind of intangible thing that I'm saying, but I feel that there's a greater ownership of the program than there has been in the past. I can a certain pride yeah. factor. I don't know if they're good enough to make the hex yet. I lean towards no, but I do feel very confident in saying that this is not a team that's going to lie down and allow them to, to allow the program to be tarnished in the way it was in Honduras that day when that team did in fact quit. Do you think maybe that that team, like you said, we don't know if they're good enough for a hex yet. We're still three rounds of qualification away from that, mm. but. That team showed something that we rarely see. A certain offensive flair last night with a play of... I'm going to include Ricketts with uh, Tesho and Kyle Lauren because the, the way they played with him on the right flank created space, created openings and, and talent. And we rarely see those skill levels. When you talk about Kyle Lauren, is it one of the only time that the program seems to be going in the right direction? With players that are young enough to be moldable, but talented enough to to be able to achieve what's demanded of them. Yeah, this is a young team. That's that's the other thing you gotta you gotta look at here. And I think that within Kyle Lauren, when you look at combine what he did last night with a stunning goal, his second goal. Um, look at the he's already at four goals, more more goals than caps. True. I don't think he's going to keep that up, but right now he's got more goals than caps. And you, you can't help but have a little tinge of, I think they call it hope. I don't. I haven't experienced a lot of it in my time covering and watching soccer. Soccer, but, just soccer as a whole. Yeah, but I think they call that hope. Um, combined with Teshu, who's, who's a different look that they haven't had in a long time. You know, I was talking to Rudy Schuler actually, today. I was talking to him, like, by text messaging. And I compared Lauren to him with uh, Alex Bunbury. I don't think Canada's had a player like Kyle Lawrence since Alex Bunbury, and Alex Bunbury was the last guy to get Canada to the hacks. Wasn't good enough to get beyond that, but he did get him to the hacks, and I think that if Canada can do that, can even be competitive in the semifinal round, and I do think that we need to be confident enough that we can get to the semifinal round, especially when you look at the teams, and we'll list them in a minute, that we're likely going to draw there. Then... That's a that's something. It's more than what I thought. When when I was sitting in that bar after the eight one game, well, let's go fast forward a little bit beyond that because I wasn't really thinking very much of anything after the eight one game. No, uh, we're all crying. Yeah, other than where's the window? Make sure it's locked. <laughs> what floor are we on? It's not yeah. high enough. Yeah. Uh, other than that, I you know I was worried, legitimately worried about being embarrassed in this qualifying round that that Canada would somehow lose to Dominica. The legitimately concerns I had for, especially that first year. Like, go. I can remember the first game after the after eight one, and I was at the Duke of Gloucester in Toronto, and I know there there were five other guys there, um, including I believe Duncan Fletcher, who's a regular on this podcast, was one of the guys that was there that day. Hi, Duncan, if you're listening. And us sitting around going, well, I guess we're the diehards, <laughs> and 
for that year when they didn't score and it was he was rotating all these young players in and looking at so many different players it was hard that year to not go oh my god this is going to be so ugly but now that it's here suddenly it doesn't seem like it's going to be ugly anymore it seems like they're probably not good enough but they're going to be competitive and they're going to be in there maybe to the final match day and we might have we might have the chance to be disappointed again and there was a, if you know what i mean like we might have a chance to be like oh damn it it was so close and i don't think that was that was going to happen a few years ago should we give benito flora more credit because yes that year was well, it was hard but the amount of looks that he got to the young players that are now included with the team that weren't before if you talk about Cal Lauren, talk about Tesho, Maxime Tiso. Those players never really represented Canada a couple times for Tiso, but they were never really in the plans for Canada before. They were never really get a look at in the lower level, U18, U16. And Benito Flor got so much different looks of all those different talent pools and brought in different players that are now included and now playing. If you're looking at Tesho now, Camp twice already scored a goal. So I think the future is bright and I think Benito Flor needs more flowers because he took that program from the abyss and at least put it in the right direction. He's not going to be the coach who's going to bring that team to fruition, but at least he put it on the right tracks. Yeah, I mean, whether he stays for 22, you would think that he's probably a little too old. He's yeah. near the end of his career for that. But he's grandpa. I've called him the grandfather. He's a very grandfatherly figure, and he's sort of been able to bring these guys and build their confidence back up and search for these young guys and sort of they all look up to him and, you know they really he managed Real Madrid just that brings briefly. credibility yeah, yeah briefly but, but still, still yeah you don't briefly manage Real Madrid unless you have some level of skill there and usually when you when you manage Real Madrid it is briefly it is anyways briefly, yes as I've said on a yeah anyway yeah different podcast um exactly these guys look up to him they look at him as as these He's a teacher. Those that watch his training sessions, he's able to help these guys. They speak highly of him. I mean, it's the best manager they've had ever on that program in terms of his credibility, in terms of his technical understanding. And can he take, you know, there's some crude sayings I could bring out here about polishing things and making it shiny, but I'm not going to do that because I don't want to be dismissive of the players. But you could only do so much with what you have. And I think he's done, he deserves a remarkable amount of credit for bringing him to this, this far Maybe you squeeze the most amount of juice out, out of the fruit to ex- be more nice. Out of the rind, yes. Yeah, fine. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, that, that's, that strange feeling you have, Canadian fans, is hope. That's what it is. Yeah. I was hungry. <laughs> um, their next round opponents, uh, I have a list here. I tweeted it out this morning. But you're looking at Nicaragua as likely their most difficult opponent. I mean, we never know with CONCACAF because CONCACAF is CONCACAF. Basically, the way it works, there's 12 teams in the next round. For They're going to play down for six. They're going to cut in half. They're going to do home and homes. So there's going to be six spots. So the bottom two positions in each of the group stages that go into the semifinal range are going to be decided by this home and home. Um, the biggest... Canada is the third highest ranked team in the round. So even if CONCACAF does peak CONCACAF and doesn't seed the teams... Well, there is a 1 in 12 chance that it's going to be dodgy because Jamaica's in the round. Jamaica and Haiti. Haiti's overranked, so I wouldn't worry too much about them. Jamaica's the only team that's still in there that you'd have to worry about, but my understanding of how they're doing it is they basically have seeded everyone. They've frozen the seeding in place based on the the August 2014 FIFA rankings. Don't ask me why they chose August 2014. (laughs) It's CONCACAF. Just go with it. 
if they in fact are sticking to their words, and again, this is CONCACAF, so God knows, but if they are, then Canada will be in the top, the, the higher seated pot, and they will draw one of the teams from the lower seated pot. A Granada, which, Barbados, Antigua type of team. Yeah, which is going to be a similar round to what we just saw. I don't think any of those teams are going to stop this team at this point. I mean, the, the Granada coach called Canada one of the quote unquote the top teams in CONCACAF. People kind of laughed at that, but when you think about the fact that CONCACAF has like 60 teams in it, Canada is in fact a top half team within CONCACAF. They're a top 10 team within CONCACAF. Even arguably top 5. Very arguably, but yes, it's... <laughs> look, well, someone asked me today where I'd rank them. I think that, that if you take a look at at Mexico, the U.S., obviously, are one, and Costa Rica are obviously one, two, three. I think you put Honduras and, and Panama in that second tier. And then I think there's five, six teams in which I would include Canada that on any given day could be that sixth team in the hex. That's, that's how I see it right now. That's, yeah, that makes sense. And once you're at the hex, you never know what's going to happen, too. That, that's well, one thing to remember. We need to get there first. And we also need to know whether, you know, that whether uh, FIFA is going to punish CONCACAF for investigating them and taking a spot away, too. So we don't know whether wow, it's three and a half true. or two and a half <laughs> is going in. It's Hopefully it stays at three and a half. Because once you get in the hacks, like I've always said before, the hardest run to get through for Canada is the semifinal round. Because once you get into the hacks, there's more games, there's more room for error, and you have four out of six spots going through as opposed to two out of, of four. So the percentages are just better. So, anyway. All right, that's about all we're going to say on that today. We'll take a quick break now. We'll come back. We will do a very brief Canadian review, and then we will wrap for the day here from Whistler's Grill. You're listening to the Two Solitude Sucker Podcast with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. You can reach the guys on Twitter at 24th Minute and at Kev Laramie. Email twosolitudespodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe to the show on Stitcher, iTunes, Feedburner, Bay Player. Yeah, listen to the show. Now listen to us flow. Yeah, now the hospitality. That's how we do. Now back to the show. And welcome back to our final segment here. Again, the noise you're hearing in the background is the live action here at Whistler's Grill in uh, East York. Toronto. So, good. Good times here. Our host today and uh, Canadian Review, Dwayne. Only one MLS team played in Canada, Montreal, but most importantly, uh, NASL wrapped up their spring season. Yeah. The impact, because they lost 3-1 in the Yeah, they lost 3-1, and it's sort of to NYCFC, which is... (laughs) Yeah, but uh, you know what I got out of the game? NYCFC is not really a good team. Not at all, but they have a couple of good players. And David Villa, whenever he wants to do a magical moment, he can always do that. And basically, got them three points. <laughs> Villa is a... Uh, he's, he's a great... He's got the DP face going on this year. He's got the, what the hell are you doing face a lot, which is amazing. But <laughs> the, anyway. the brand new DP face. Yeah. Well, uh, he, uh, they are the, um, the appetizer to the Debro testimonial. Because um, it's clearly everyone's going to watch the Debro testimonial next week in Toronto, not the actual game. Uh, so they are Toronto, Toronto's next opponent, the, uh, the high-flying Javinko show. But at any rate, um, look, I think what we saw with the 3-1 game in Montreal is just that this is a team that's going to be a, a little bit up and down. And they're probably going to be battling for that sixth spot most of the year. Which is, I think, compared to last year, okay. Points per game, Montreal's fourth in the East right now. Yeah, because there's a lot of games behind, so it's not as bad as people think. Because they see them in the bottom, they're like, "Oh, it's bad." 
so far with the games they played with the amount of points they have it's not that bad they just need to keep it up and when it gets serious in September with a lot of games August, September that's when they need to win the games they have in hand and then yeah like you say I see them battling for six yes games yeah games in hand can be a blessing and a, a curse all at the same time because you gotta win them but and Toronto had a ton of games in hand last year for a long time and then well they didn't win, win them, them. <laughs> so anyway um it's going to be interesting to see basically on the, the TFC front, and I know Vancouver fans, you're doing very well too. We get it. But anyway. You're good. You're good. You're, you're fine. <laughs> Just to see whether the week off has slowed Javinko down, because right now you talk about one-man teams. I don't think there's – it's a bit disingenuous to call them a one-man team, but I think that they are clearly a team that has a out-of-this-world player right now. So we'll be curious to see whether that's slowing them down. I actually had a conversation down in uh, – I was in East. Like I was in East Yard. I hang out in East Yard a lot because I live here. But anyway, I was in this little <laughs> place called Mr. Chow's down in uh, Leslieville last night. I guess it's Riverside. But anyway, um, and uh, yeah, the, the, there's an Italian bartender, and he wanted to talk to us about Javinko the whole game once he found out we were a soccer fans. So there you go. He's okay, having some Javinko, he's a good. Eh? He's never seen TFC play, so that says something too. But uh, he said, "I think I might go because I think I might go now that there's an Italian there." Um, all right, let's talk about the NASL. Uh, Briefly, Indy, the Indy 11, which are the worst team in NASL, uh, destroyed Edmonton 3 0 to, to end the spring season. Edmonton's got some changes they're going to need to make. They had a, a tough season, uh, their spring season. They were more, a lot more was expected from the Eddies, and they simply have disappointed. I, I think that now that Ottawa has actually overtaken them in the standings, uh, I think they've probably overtaken them in, like, a packing order, too, if I was like to rank them. Like the best fourth team in the country. Yeah. yeah. So, at that point, you know, good for Ottawa, but Edmonton's the established team. You know, Ottawa's only in the second season. I would, I'd be a little concerned if it was an Eddie's fan, and it's got to be hard to attract players up there, too. So, that's that's some things to concern about. I I really want the Eddie's to be successful. I think most people in Canada do, but it, it, and because I, I think they do a lot of great things on the academy side. Uh, this national team player made his debut last night from from Edmonton. A lot of good things to like about that program. I really hope they can find a fan base there and can can, can you know improve on the pitch so they can get some sustainability. That Ottawa Fury though are fascinating. They've gone 526 minutes without allowing a goal. They've only scored one in that time. So I think it's pretty clear what the Ottawa Fury have to do in the fall season is they're going to need to find a way to score goals. <laughs> With that 526 minute is a non-going NASL record, by the way, that's still going. So uh, in the offseason, this record will continue to get bigger with the next game they're playing in the fall season. But until then, uh, for Ottawa, at least, they finish on a high note. And it gives them hope that they can continue to climb up that table in, this, in the fall so they can make it out of that top four and make it squeeze in those playoffs. Because we all know the Cosmos are going to be one of the... They're the champion in the spring season. There's a very good chance they're going to be champion of the fall season just because Miguel Ibarra from Minnesota won't be there anymore. He's going to play in Mexico. So because of that, it gives Minnesota their best player. They're out, so Cosmos will probably not have an easy way with the league, but they're, they're the standout favorite right now for this fall season as well. So if they win both, one more spot in the playoff for uh, the rest of the league. Yeah, and the league is very tight. Um, it is an interesting league that way for, for its tightness, and I think that if the Fury can find a goal scorer, which is easier said than done, I, if only there was a kid in, in Toronto that's not getting enough playing time that can maybe use a confidence in Jordan Hamilton that, uh, that you might want to loan to him or something like that. Like I mean, I, honestly, if I were an, an, ML, an MLS team, <laughs> 
if I were an MLS team that had a younger forward that, that needed some more time, I'd be looking at an Ottawa a team that just needs that extra piece to try and loan him and get some kind of deal going in place because that's what they need. Andrew Wiedemann went there in the offseason. I was talking to some fans from Ottawa on, on Monday. They're not really happy with his performance, his effort there, so maybe he's on the outs. They, they, they've got to make changes. You can't go the amount of games, the amount of time they've scored, being as good defensively and not be piling up points and not have to look at it and just... If you're Mark DeSantos, you've got to just throw your hands in the air and go, like, what do we have to do? Um, the other talking point from Ottawa is, is Julian de Guzman and whether he's going to stick around. And there's no evidence to suggest he's not, except for someone that I was talking to on the CRs of Fury, ours of the Fury guys I was talking to. I was talking to John. Um, so credit to him for, for planting this seed, suggesting to me, you know, maybe Julian was using the spring season as a calling card to try and get another contract maybe in the second division in, in, in uh, Germany or maybe to look at MLS again. Oh, I don't think Julian has a lot of interest in MLS from what I know of him and his time here and his experience here. But, you know, is Julian going to come back for the second season in Ottawa? There, there's a question. And if he doesn't, how does that affect his his you know, they're the team's performance in the second half of the season. That's very interesting, too, because Julian de Guzman, there was a lot of hype with his arrival in Ottawa a couple months ago, a couple weeks before his uh, announcement that he was joining the Fury. Mark DeSantos himself was saying to me that they're, they're working on a big name and they were really working hard on the Guzman. So it would be like a failure on the Ottawa Fury's part if they're not able to keep him for the rest of the season because they really saw him as a potential name that could help not just on the pitch but maybe in the stands in Ottawa because he's one of the biggest Canadian soccer name out there after D-Roy is retired it's basically the Guzman yeah and again this is we're speculating right now just you know you because people look at the NSL and they look at it as like you know not a place you ideally want to be it's like a place you end up right but is that where Julian's at and look I'll go the other side for this for I watched him on the pitch a lot last night once the game was in hand I was like watching Julian out there and the amount of effort an intensity that he was consistently bringing and the amount of instruction he was doing on the field at all times is really remarkable when you remember Julian from his time in Toronto where his head was down a lot, where he was frustrated, where he just didn't want to be there and he was just looking for an out even though he was getting a big paycheck and he got so many people hate him here for that because of that reason. It's just like he's he's had this renaissance, this like epiphany that this is it for him and his legacy may be that he's never going to play in a World Cup for Canada because that would take a big miracle. Maybe he's not going to you know be part of even a hacks but what he maybe can bring is to help that next generation up and that can be julian's legacy and that might be his same thinking and for the fury that he can help bring this young team up i have no evidence to point to with this other than what i saw with my eyes and it just looked like julian's a different kind of player now than he was four or five years ago maybe he has an urge to pass on the knowledge that he learned so that at least there's a certain progression and the, the next generation doesn't start from scratch. At least, if that's his legacy, at least there's something. Yeah, maybe we should make a request to Mr. De Guzman and the Fury about that. If you're listening to Ottawa, you might get an email. Um, yeah, that, that's about where we'll end it for, for the day. Uh, the Cosmos, as we said, we're, are the uh, spring season champions. We've had a lot of conversations about how silly we think the spring-fall split is, especially since it's uneven, but it is what it is. They've gained one of the two, one of the four postseason i said playoff earlier i apologize before i receive an email saying it's postseason one of the one of the four postseason spots 
the Fury are still uh, both Edmonton and Fury if they turn around the second half there's no team out of it uh, we'll continue to watch this and, and encourage you to It's a, the, the Ottawa is a good story 526 consecutive minutes without allowing a goal is a damn good story and you know I think we, we hope them we wish them well Absolutely, we do wish them well. And until next time for a Five Rings World Cup edition, well, have a great soccer. Thanks, Whistlers. <laughs>